1: We're momming today with Kelly DeConcilius, an exfiltration expert, aka someone who gets people out of bad places. But Kelly does so at um, Special Aerospace Security Services, which is a woman owned small business. Kelly is the chief operating officer. She's a mother of three young children, all under the age of five. And she joins us now. Kelly, hello.
0: Hi, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Thanks
1: for finding some time to do this because. Um, I think you have a lot more responsibility than than a lot of other women. Not only are you mom to three kids who are in school again, September could be a a tough month, but, you know, you're looking at the situation in Afghanistan, and that's where I want to start. You have hundreds and hundreds of, of women, of girls, who are at American University in Afghanistan, and they're stranded. What's the latest on that situation?
0: Sure. So I can tell you just over the last month, I'm trying to get most vulnerable out, and that's exactly who these girls are. There's 600 students from American University of Afghanistan that are completely stranded and left in Kabul. Um, and throughout the city, and various safe houses um, that are now left um, to the Taliban's rule, and so we were unable to get any more of them out. There is around 50 girls that were able to get out um, while the U.S. was on the ground, uh, but as of now, they are stranded, and that's not including, you know, additional exfil groups, as I call them, that I that I've been working with on a pure volunteer basis since the evacuation started, and. Across the board, it's just been really frustrating just as a female, but then also as a mom to see these young girls who from the beginning wanted to do better and make a life for themselves and go against what has typically been the norm um, for someone like them to study at a university, which it was bombed a few years ago and several people were killed and they continued on with their education. Now to just take a backseat and go, you know, backwards in time, it's really hard to say.
1: Where are their families the for the most part?
0: Um a lot of their families are are with them uh, in their safe houses, uh, or some of the families had had left or were separated. So it's really a tragic story across the board, one that
1: I don't think is gonna have a real happy ending, to be quite honest. Uh, what are what are the ages for the most part uh, of these students?
0: So they range in age anywhere from nineteen to twenty five, and these are Lauren you know, undergraduate, graduate law students, PhDs. I mean, these are people that, you know, wanted to be the president of Afghanistan when they, you know, when they grew up, I mean, these were, were girls and, and young men and women that all were trying to better themselves. And so it's just absolutely heartbreaking. Um, there are glimmers of hope with some of the people that did make it out and are going to continue on um, in Doha. I know that they have a satellite campus there that they're going to be um, utilizing their educational experience there. But for the most part, it's just been a really sad story across the board.
1: Yeah, I mean, not to mention the loss of um, intellect and culture that Afghanistan is losing. I mean, maybe this is an obvious question, but wouldn't you think that, oh, I can't believe I'm going to say this, the Taliban would want to keep them for their skills? Maybe you, they are girls, they are women. I, I, I get that that's bad when looking at the culture that, that we're dealing with. But wouldn't you want their skill set in some which way, shape or form to help you nation rebuild? You would think considering if you look across
0: the board from a capacity building standpoint that women are, you know, much more likely in peace negotiations to be successful over men. And there's been many case studies about this. However, the Taliban, as you know, people will call them, quote unquote, reformed. There's no such thing as a reformed Taliban. They are a terrorist organization. They will always be a terrorist organization. And the only thing organized about them is ensuing you know, harm upon women um, and fear across the board if you are not part of their jihad. And so to answer your question, like, no, they're not going to utilize women. They will utilize women as young child brides. Mm. Um, They will rape and torture them. um, And they will make sure that they never walk the streets
1: unaccompanied without a male figure. You know what, I'm glad I asked because that's the harsh reality, your answer that, that so many women are facing. And, you know, You said their ages were mostly 19 to, what, 25 years old? So Mm -hmm. they might not have seen the real actions of the Taliban because the U.S. and other countries have had a presence in Afghanistan for 20 years.
0: Well, and that's the sad part, Lauren, is that – The people that have grown up is exactly these type of girls. They have grown up in a world where women can go to school and learn and women can go and have jobs. So for them, they've actually had that taste of freedom for their entire life. And now, all of a sudden, it's being taken away. I don't know what's worse, and I've had this conversation with people, is is knowing the taste of freedom and then losing it or never knowing it at all. So they don't know any difference, but, but these young women know what it's like to be a leader in their community, to have an education, and now they can't even leave their homes without being accompanied
1: by a male. How? It- it's it's so it's so sad and so remarkable for so many reasons. and, and you're you're approaching this from the female point of view. When you um, do your exfiltration work? And I know you're not gonna be able to tell us all of it for security reasons and and that's fine, but for the most part, who are your conversations with? Do you speak to these these students in particular? Because I'm just thinking, oh, they they look at you. They look at this successful young woman who has a company and has a family and you're living their dream. Um, do they relay that to you at all if you've had contact with them in that sense? So as I mentioned before, so there's multiple groups that I've been working with. Um,
0: We have a really sophisticated communication system with the girls and how we put out communication to them. And it's a much broader uh, piece. Um, I can tell you, though, as far as Dealing with families, for example, I have a family that I'm working with. The husband is extremely high value target of the Taliban. Um, He worked at a jail that housed ISIS and Taliban and Al Qaeda for years. And he is now stuck in Kabul. His wife is eight and a half months pregnant and they have a three year old son. So I am in constant communication with them over text message and have been from the beginning telling them to go to the gates. They were beaten at the gates as a family. And uh, and then were turned away um, by the U.S. um, after making it through eight checkpoints. And I think, Lauren, it's something important for for others to know, because it's talked about in the news of like checkpoints. This isn't like a checkpoint at Disneyland where you go through a turnstile. I mean, these are checkpoints where women are being ripped out of cars men are being beaten, documents are being destroyed that can get them into the gates at the time when the U.S. was still there. And to do that over and over again, only then to finally get to the gates, which was like a waste hazardous zone where they were literally like sitting and standing in human feces and then possibly being shot at and beaten again, only to be turned away and then having to go back home. But now you've already been labeled. So you've had your paperwork, the Taliban has kind of marked you, And they actually spray paint people's houses to let people know who they've worked with, whether it's a student, female, whether it's someone that's worked with the Afghan National Army, and now they're a target. So the conversations are absolutely heartbreaking that I have with the families on the ground, because they're just asking, like, Mrs. Kelly, please, like, I'm begging you, please help me. I don't want to live in this hell. Can you please get us out? And for someone whose job it is is to get people out of bad places quickly and quietly. You know, Lauren, I've never left anyone behind. And this is the first time in my life. Like
1: I can't say that anymore um, because I, I left hundreds behind, including Americans. Does that that make this the most difficult exfiltration you've ever done?
0: Oh, absolutely. Lauren, I've never seen anything like this in my entire career. One that was, You know, where I had Americans, I had SIVs, which are special immigrant visa holders, which are, are people that are our allies that work side by side with us, with our special forces, that were our interpreters. And when people think of interpreters, when you are in a war zone, an interpreter is the first person that goes into a potentially very fatal situation. They're the ones that say, all right, to the intelligence officer, all right, stand back. Something doesn't seem right. There's usually a dog over here, tied up. There's usually a person on a rocking chair. Something's not right. Everyone back up and then an IED would go off. Mm. So those are the people that stood side by side with us and we just left them all there. Yeah. And so that's hard for me because it's a part of a, of a, of a government that that I work with and, you know, being an American, we are doing the most un-American thing right
1: now and it's leaving Americans and those that have served with us basically to die. Can you talk about your training a little bit? How how you got to become an exfiltration expert?
0: Sure. Um. So my background um started off um my degrees in neuropsychology, and so it's the study of the brain and the body and behavior and how that all works. So the psychological working with the physiological part of of the body. So figuring out what is the biggest stressor and then how your actual mind body works under extremely stressful situations. And so this was right after nine eleven, Lauren. Mm. I to Catholic University in DC. And so it really was a game changer as 9-11 was for many people on what they wanted to do with their careers. And so that's really what made me want to get into like emergency preparedness and disaster response. And so that's what I started doing um, and working more as a profiler um, and worked with a, a military health arm of uh, the DOD, Department of Defense called Defense Health Agency. Um, for, as a contractor for about 10 years. And I've been all over to military treatment facilities, which is like a Walter Reed or a Longstuhl in Germany. Um, there's 60 of those all around the world. And so traveled and providing, uh, providing medical services to those. And then outside of the medical services, that's where I started getting more into the intelligence community and getting people out of bad places, as we say.
1: Yeah. And, and I want to talk about how you bring all of these skills that um... – I certainly don't have, to raising your own children. And we'll do that when We're Momming Today continues right after this. We're back on. We're momming today with Kelly DeConcilius, and you know, Kelly, you were inspired by nine eleven two thousand and one, and you got into the business of of helping people who need you, people in bad places uh, who who need someone to get them through. And you know, you studied the brain, how the brain works, how it responds to stress. How did at, at what point did you say? I have a big job and a lot of responsibility, but I have time to have not one, not two, but three children.
0: <laughs> so it's it's a good question. Um, I think what was interesting is as a female in, you know, as you're kind of moving through your career, all of my girlfriends around me were all getting married. I mean, I was like, you know, the movie 27 Dresses. I mean, I literally think I was in 27 weddings in a matter of like eight years. And so all throughout my 20s, uh all my friends around me were getting married and I was still, you know, in my career and traveling. And I had one rule, which was never date anyone I worked with. And so I went on match.com. I met my husband in my thirties and I knew, you know, I wanted to have kids right away. And so that was kind of it. When you find the love of your life and you marry your best friend, everything really does like fall into place and having a partner there. And so we love children. And and that's my mom is the most important role that I have. And one that I always tell people, you know, when people say, oh, Kelly, like you have it all. And I said, no, I said, you can have it all,
1: but you can't have it all at the same time. It's just impossible, Lauren, to me, at least. So So we talk about that a little bit more. What do you mean you can't have it all at the same time? So either you slack on the job or you slack on the home front or both or you mess up yourself. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean, like, let's be honest here. I mean, you, you really, you can't do it all at the end of the day. I mean, uh, what I try and do when people talk about like, oh, how's your work life balance? I'm Like, I don't even know what that means. Um, <laughs> work life balance. Um, I mean, what I do learn, I try and give a hundred percent of whatever I'm doing, whether it's you know making Halloween costumes, which I already started on. Or if I'm hurrying up in my white minivan that I just finally caved to and I'm going to testify on Capitol Hill. Like something's gonna have to give. So some days like my work's gonna take a back seat, but I'm okay with that. But I'm also okay that I'm literally never gonna be that like crafty cricket mom and 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 striving for that seat at the PTA table. Like it's just that's not me and I'm okay with that.
1: Yeah, but um, the the lead there is you you caved to the minivan. My husband wants one. I won't do it. I don't want a minivan.
0: No, so the But Loser you
1: love Cruiser. it. Everyone loves it. <laughs> no,
0: let's talk about the Loser Cruiser for a second because <laughs> I feel like Cruiser we really going to unpack this. Loser Cruiser is absolutely amazing. I literally cannot believe that I got it and I am now obsessed with it. I, that's all I talk about. The door sliding back and forth. I mean, I've got three car seats, you know, three kids under five. I, at one point, I had three kids under two years old. Where was it then? It's amazing. Lauren, you should give in.
1: I know my my dear friend from college just got one in maroon and she brags about it. She 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 actually had your your exact response. She's like, I can't believe I caved. I actually caved. Having said that, it's the best car I've ever had. And it makes everything so much easier.
0: It's true. And and let's be honest, who are we kidding? Like, we're trying to be cool. As the guy said at the Toyota dealership, he's like, ma'am. And then that was probably it. he started off with ma'am. Uh, he goes, uh, you know, are you really trying to be cool? Like you're a mom of three kids. Like, I think that ship has sailed. And then that's when I signed the contract and I
1: was like, and I'm done. Like, let's go ahead and get the car. Like he put it all in perspective for me. Insulted you completely at the same time. But, you know, whatever. It is what it is. <laughs> It is
0: what it is, but I, when I drive it, I kind of feel like the movie Bad Moms. At the end of the day, I've got you know my minivan, I'm rolling in it, and I'm just owning it. And I think Lauren, for me, it's taken probably about 15 years to finally, at age 40, like feel comfortable in my own skin. To uh, really who I am.
1: Uh, beautifully said. And I think you had a scare a few years ago that might have helped reinforce that mindset. Tell me about the stroke that you suffered when you were just 36.
0: Yeah. So talk about a game-changing moment. Um, So I was, yeah, I was 36. I had three kids under the age of two. I was driving. um, My husband was um, away at work um, on travel and I was dropping off my kids at daycare. After I dropped them off, I was going about 70 miles an hour on the highway. And then I started to notice my left arm became numb. I started getting dizzy and black spots. What's interesting, though, probably the best thing that could have happened to someone like me is that I actually used to train people on how to gain an extra seven to nine seconds of consciousness um, from a training standpoint with being a background in neuropsychology. So you can actually trick your brain with certain type of stimulants Hmm. So you can put air conditioning on really high. You start repeating songs in your head to keep you awake and alert, putting the windows down. And so with that, I was able to kind of look at the cars and the traffic and see, okay, the car to my right is going 60. This guy's going 50 next to me and everything went black. So I had to move my car three lanes over going 70 miles an hour, decelerate, park. I passed out, woke back up. And then I drove to the office, not thinking it was a stroke, full disclosure at the time I'm 36. So I thought, oh, maybe I just need to eat a banana. Um, So after. After yeah. I uh, after I went to work for a little bit, I realized it wasn't work. I passed out, um, went to the first hospital, and they. I tell people this story because I really hope that, you know, people take it seriously when some things do happen. The first hospital actually discharged me and said, like, oh, you'll be fine. It's just a migraine, and I couldn't see out of my left eye. And then after two doctor visits that day and I had a bunch of mini strokes, I ended up being in the neuro um, ICU in the stroke unit, where a team of specialists like literally saved my life. Um, I ended up having a rare blood clotting disorder that I didn't know about. But I tell this story, Lauren, because I, I literally will do anything to bring awareness to stroke and the signs and symptoms because stroke does not discriminate against age, gender, or race. And even though I've, I've lost permanent sight in my left eye, and I still have vertigo here
1: and there and some other issues. I'm one of the lucky ones, truly. So, oh, so you have, you're blind in, in your left eye? Yes. Oh, wow. Um, so and what it are the... Like ch-
0: trying to, it was like trying to, like, learn how to, you would think the brain's an amazing thing. And I think it would have been better probably if I didn't know what was going on. But I knew sitting in that hospital bed, like on day three and four, like, this isn't good. Um because of my background and what I know about the brain. Um, But it's fascinating that how you can train yourself. I mean, I had to train myself how to drive again and how to walk again with one eye. And it was a a really interesting piece. Like there's vertigo that comes into place and, and all these other different items. And so it's a very humbling experience from someone that doesn't like to ask for help, which is me and
1: my type A personality. Right. And what are the chances of you having a stroke again? How do you minimize that?
0: So I'm on a really strong course of blood thinners. And it was a moment in life where I had to say to myself, Kelly, you have to take a pause. Like you have to take a step back. Like I had three babies under the age of two. They were all in diapers. I was working crazy hours at work and I was trying to be Lauren everything to everyone. And this is like where something had to give. And so I ended up quitting my job at a big company. I moved over to a small women-owned company And something that I could do that I really love that was really niche work, like in the intelligence community, but I kind of made my hours and I did something that to me felt that mattered. But I also wanted a boss that was extremely supportive of my family life. Like I didn't have to say, I'm sorry, I have to leave at four
1: because I have to get the kids for soccer. So that's acceptable. So when you work for an all-female company, you can say that and not feel guilty?
0: Yeah. And the best part is, is that for the majority of our company is female, but my boss is actually a male and he's extremely supportive. He gets it. And he's like, Kelly, like you don't ever have to apologize for being a mom and, and also, you know, being a COO. Like, we love the fact that that you're a mom, you relate to the other people in the company. And it's true.
1: Um, I love that. I, I think that that is starting to slowly change slowly for all companies They've described it as like, you know, male privilege. If, if, a, if a dad worker says, oh, I have to go take my kid to baseball practice, everyone's like, oh, you're such a great, cool dad. But if a mom actually admits that she's taking her son to baseball practice, it's like, oh, she's leaving early again you know? <laughs> oh,
0: absolutely. The, the, the judgy Judgersons are all around, right? I mean, you, you just, you are held to a different standard and it is what it is. It's just how you, how you take it in stride. And that's kind of what I talk about. I just, I own it now. I don't really care so much as what other people think about me. Cause at 40 years old, like I'm comfortable in my own skin. I showed up to a meeting at a Pentagon dressed up cause I was running late from, there was a little Halloween parade and I didn't want to miss it with the twins. And I was literally T-Rex at a Pentagon meeting. Cause I, I literally forgot a change of clothes. And so I walked in doing a briefing as T-Rex. I mean, but those are the things though, I think that are endearing because someone in that meeting can understand, especially working with all males, like, Oh, like, I remember like when my little kids were little and I did that. And so it's, it's an endearing piece that hopefully people will embrace.
1: Kelly, so good to talk with you. An incredible story. It actually just got better as we went on. We started, you know, um, I, 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 I guess international humanitarian political with Afghanistan and that that debacle on the ground there. Everything you're doing to your loser cruiser <laughs> until the, the loss of eyesight in, in your left eye because of a stroke at 36. I'm kind of just floored by this whole discussion. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren. Good luck. <laughs> and good luck uh, this year with the kids. I think uh, one's in kindergarten, right? Is that what you said? Yeah. the twi- So the twins are in kindergarten and then the three-year-old is in preschool. So
0: just, you know. You made it. You got freedom. I feel like we <laughs> made it. Sometimes they cry as I leave them on the bus with curlers in my hair, but that is okay.
1: I'm sure you can appreciate that oh, as well. Man. Oh, man. All right. Good talking to you and we'll speak soon. Thanks, Lauren.